Friends, if you have uh, your Bible with you, turn to Romans 12. Starting at verse 9, there's a little title you will see there in my Bible. It's called Christian Ethics. If you're watching at home, uh, open up another tab on your computer, turn to your Bible, follow along with me. If you want to read along in the YouVersion Bible, uh, click on the Places tab and type in Church Together, and you can find the scriptures that I'm going to be talking about, as well as some other bits and pieces as well. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. We're talking about this promise that Isaiah gave about the coming of Jesus, who is still our king today, when he says that the government will be upon his shoulders. That's good news for us, that whatever happens down here, all the stuff that we're wrestling with, ultimately, God is still in control. Last week, we talked about God's authority. Today, I want to talk about our responsibility. In Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9, we read about some of the things that we must do to fulfill that responsibility. By this Tuesday evening, hopefully all of you will have gone and voted. If you haven't done it yet, I would encourage you to do so. I would encourage you to go and vote prayerfully and thoughtfully after wrestling with all the issues that are before us. But for the church, I want to encourage you that while it's really, really important that we go and vote for our next government, it's also really, really important that we as followers of Christ seek this week to let that Christ whose name we bear govern us. I was reading a fascinating article last night, and it said that victory for Christians, the win or loss for Christians during this election doesn't happen by what result comes out of Tuesday. We win or lose by how we as Christians respond on Wednesday. Our response to what happens this week will say a lot about us and say a lot about the Christ whom we serve. We have a responsibility this week. It's to vote. You bet. But it's a responsibility to live through our life, the life of the Christ whose name we proclaim. So Romans chapter 12, verse 9. This is an odd little passage because it just spews out about 26 or 27 different instructions. Now, rest assured, I'm not going to go through all of them today. That would take us forever. But I want to look over some of these instructions and pull out just a few that are pertinent and so important to us this week as we seek to live as Christians in this world. In Greek, the 
phrase for this kind of writing is perinesis, and it kind of means to string together some ethical rules, some general content, some statements. Covered here are a number of themes that Paul is wanting to make sure he quickly builds into Christians before he ends the letter. You know, I remember when I was uh, younger and my grandparents who lived several hours away would come and visit, would have a nice visit. And as they were pulling out the driveway, my grandmother would wind down her car window because you had to wind them down back then, right? And as they were pulling out the driveway, she would shout at me all these ethical statements. Remember to use your manners. Remember to clean your teeth. Check your zipper before you speak. All this kind of stuff, right? And it's almost like Paul is doing that same thing here. He's saying, hey, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to wrap up this letter. But here's some things that you really, really need to do and really, really need to know if you are going to represent Christ well. There are about 26, 27 of them. I want to uh, go over them all, but really just pull four out to you. How should we live in a way that tells this hurting, wrestling world that we serve a God who offers a better way. This is what Paul says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. In these first two verses, I think Paul is saying one simple thing. He's saying, brother and sister, those who claim to be in Christ this week, Take care of your character. Take care of your character. He starts off by talking about love. And we know that as Christians, love is what we're supposed to be defined by. It's who we are. It's what we do. It's the substance of the God that we follow. And if God is real in our life, then love is real in ours. And he starts off by saying, let your love be without hypocrisy. Why does he say that? Because he knows that acting unlovingly when we serve a loving God is an act of hypocrisy. Nobody likes hypocrisy. I would put it to you that the biggest challenge to the church right now is our hypocrisy. The biggest challenge to politics right now is hypocrisy. Paul is saying to his church, to his people, love and do not let hypocrisy get into that love. The word hypocrite talks about the kind of mask that someone would put on if they were in a play, if they were a stage actor. 
Think about how many times we put on that mask each day, pretending to be someone we're not, hiding who we don't want people to see, speaking one thing but living another way. Paul says, let love be without hypocrisy. Be who you are as you are in Christ. How do we, how do we do that? Honestly, we haven't done a great job of that for hundreds of years. Honestly, there's no one in this world who's done a great job of being without hypocrisy. He says, this is what you must do. Detest evil and cling to what is good. As I read this verse, He's not just talking about turning from that which is bad and clinging to that which is right. I believe he's talking about a life of integrity. The way that we overcome hypocrisy is by living a life of integrity. Think about that. Integrity means that we are the same on the inside as we are on the outside. That our words are the same as our actions. That our thoughts are adequately and accurately represented in what we do. Hypocrisy is the complete opposite of that. We overcome hypocrisy by integrity. Integrity is the antidote to hypocrisy. And so in these first two verses, I believe that Paul is saying to us, this week, take care of your character. Take care of your character. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdoing one another in showing honor. A few thoughts here before we move on. First of all, this invitation is to love one another deeply. So often what happens is when we find out that someone doesn't agree with us in whatever form or politically, we let that difficulty become more important than the depth of our love for that person. Does that make sense? We've seen it. We've experienced it, right? I've seen people post. I've heard people. And I confess that I have dismissed them because I have a difficulty believing what they're saying or understanding what they're saying. But I think Paul is saying here, as we take care of our character, we must live, love people more deeply than we do the differences that we have with them. Does that make sense? We must love more deeply than the deep differences that we have often outdo one another in showing honor. Paul's saying, hey, there's a, there's a race here. There's a, there's a competition to see who can serve each other best. And he's saying to the church, we should be the first. We should be the quickest to show honor to one another. How do we do that? Because we can, because we're living with integrity and we're loving deeply. I think the first thing, I'm speaking too quickly. The first thing that Paul is reminding us of this week is to take care of our character. Would you do that? It's Tuesday night, you're watching the results come in. So maybe you're scrolling down your feed. 
Maybe you get your way, maybe you don't. It doesn't matter. Your role is to take care of your character. Secondly, Paul goes on. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The first way we must live this week, according to Paul, is to take care of our character. Secondly, we must passionately bless one another. It is so easy to curse. It is so easy to write off. But that is not the role of a believer. We are people who bless and we must bless as passionately as we can. This word zeal is translated as passion. We've seen a lot of passion over the last few weeks, right? Passion for this principle, passion for this party, passion for that uh, political idea. Passion's good, but he says, let your passion be diligent. Our passion must be guided by something diligent. What does that mean? That means that we know why and what we're passionate for. If we are passionate and zealous without diligence, we are a runaway train. And so we must be passionate, yes, but we must be diligent. We must know what we're saying and why we're saying it. We must look through things through the the biblical lens, not through the lens of the world. Paul is saying, be passionate, but be diligently passionate. And then he goes on to say, point your passion in one direction. And your passion should be to how we serve and help others. Those who are struggling, those who are hurting, those who have nothing, I feel kind of crazy saying it, but I kind of feel I need to say it. We must not let our political persuasion prevent us from serving people. Paul is saying here, take care of your character, but passionately bless others. Put them first. You know what's really interesting about the context of this in Romans 12? Paul is talking to a people, to a church that have a political opponent. He's saying when you come up against Rome, this political structure that doesn't like, don't curse them. Seek to serve them. There are people hurting there. There are people struggling there. Your job as a believer is to passionately bless people. Rejoice with those who weep. No, Let me say that again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He's saying we have a responsibility to 
to empathize, to listen, to care, to bless, to serve. Take care of your character. Passionately bless others. Verse 16. I love this. Let me tell you why I love it, because I have this great concern that I've been carrying for about five or six weeks now. The Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week could be some of the most divided and darkest days in our nation's history. To that, Paul says this, verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. You know, life is going to go on after the election. We're still going to be friends. We're still going to be the church. We've still got jobs to go to. We're still fighting a pandemic together. We've still got to, got to figure out how to get along. And Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Why? Because there is something incredibly honorable about saying, even though I don't agree with you, I'm going to love you and seek to live in harmony with you. How do we do that? Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Why do we associate with the humble? One, because they need her uh, our help. But secondly, as we associate with the humble, we become humble. Paul's saying you got to take care of your character. We have to bless others. And thirdly, we need to live honorably. In harmony, where we live with humility. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. You know, a thing that dawned on me the other day, and it's very true. Whoever your enemy is right now, and we've probably all got them. Could be a relational enemy, could be a political enemy. Jesus thought enough of your enemy to give his life for them. And so if he was able to honor them by giving his life and dying for their sins and wanting the best, even though they, like we, were enemies of God, surely we have no excuse not to honor one another, live Honorably, give careful thought to what you do. One of my favorite Winston Churchill put-downs. He says, the biggest argument against democracy is five minutes with the average voter. You can imagine him saying that in his kind of gruff, belittling tone. Adamir and I were talking the other day, and Adamir has put together some questions, uh, and I know he would love to sit down with you and ask you these questions. They are soul-searching questions about how we are living in light of everything that's going on. And as he and I got together and talked through those questions, one of the things that he asked was, how has this election changed you? As I thought through that, I realized that this is 
caused me to weigh my words much more thoughtfully. That's what Paul is saying here. Give thought to what you do and what you say. As you go into the election booths, don't don't satisfy that quip from Churchill. Don't be that person who just goes in and gets it done. Go in thoughtfully. Give careful thought to what you do. This week, how do we live? One, take care of your character. Two, passionately bless others. Three, live honorably. And fourthly, pursue peace. Pursue peace. Let me say it again. Pursue peace. (laughs) On Wednesday night, I've got a soccer game. I'm taking a friend to the soccer game, and I texted him this weekend and said, hey, you all good for Wednesday night? And he says, yeah, I think so. Unless our city's burning down and there are riots downtown. (laughs) Selfishly, live at peace so I can watch my soccer game on Wednesday. (laughs) But ultimately, live at peace. Because the reputation of the one whose name we bear rests on our ability to do that. This is what, this is what Paul says, 18. If possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, it may not always be possible. Get it? Peace is a transaction between two people. They may not want to come to the table. That's on them. But your job, our job, my job, is as much as possible, as much as it depends on me, to live at peace with everybody. That is the challenge for our nation on Wednesday. What does it look like for us to live at peace. First of all, friends, do not avenge yourself. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. What I'm reminded of then, wish I had more time to expound on this statement. God doesn't allow anything that he can't redeem. Those of you writing it down, write that down. Think about it later. It'll Makes sense when you wrestle it down in a couple of hours. God doesn't allow anything that he can't redeem. It's not ours to avenge. It's God's. Verse 20, if we leave whatever needs to happen next to God, what is our role? See how clearly he spells it out, what the role of the church is. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. We bring peace, not by participating in all the struggle and the mess and the fallout, but by loving and helping the needy. In doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on their head. It's a huge verse. It has a lot of historical 
weight behind it. But I think what he's saying is that if we are loving and serving and caring and providing food and drink and everything that goes with service, then we are putting ourselves beyond reproach. We are quietening the accusation of those who want want to attack us and attack the Christ who we serve. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. This week, we get to vote for a new government. It's a high and lofty honor and privilege to do so. But the challenge for us is to let God govern us, right? What does that look like? If Paul's my grandma, shouting instructions out the front of the window that she's wound down, Paul's saying to me and to you, take care of your character. Passionately bless others. Live honorably before people. And pursue peace. Because that's what the people of God do. And that's how we win the election. Not by what happens on the vote. But what we ask God to do in our lives.